Welcome to Tactical Permaculture. I've worked on projects ranging from the poorest to richest clients, from inner cities to suburbs to farmlands to remote wilderness, from the eco-war front lines to celebrity backyards. In over 25 years of service to the earth and the community of life, I've learned that in the fight for sustainable survival, growing is half the battle. Go to tacticalpermaculture.com for more info. You gotta train for me Because I'm training for you We gotta love, love And revolution to do You better train for me You'll be training for you June 2nd, 2023, episode 59 I have mixed feelings about addressing this topic and this issue because um, <laughs> probably one of the one of the most um, tragically ironic statements of of uh, the decade so far is that uh, people are quote sick of COVID. So, um, taking a a kind of a broader perspective, something that is worthy of worthy of um, study and research and discourse in its own right as a broader category that includes the COVID-19 pandemic and analysis thereof, but a broader category that is al- will, has always been and will forever be worthwhile to to explore and to continually evolve an understanding of as individuals and collectively from the lay public to the to scientific um, rigor and for me what I think what I think is so interesting now having many um, unanswered questions now be maybe not perfectly, maybe not totally answered, maybe not always the answers that we were hoping for or this, or satisfactorily uh, resolved. But we have, there are a lot more uh, known knowns. And I mean, the there are a lot less, there are a lot less unknown unknowns years later at, since uh, even 2019, and I want to I want to take uh, this opportunity to uh, now actually it's it's like maybe I waited long enough to where people are no longer saturated by the news cycle and and maybe if this isn't something that. Uh, if you're listening to this around the time that it comes out, maybe you're thinking, oh, you know what? I haven't thought about it in a while because everything's back to the new normal or whatnot. Um, or if you're listening to this sometime in the, in the distant future, then the context is that uh, I, I stopped talking about the pandemic because people were sick of COVID. And... Uh, but for me, I, I never found anyone in my life who was, um, and that's why I'm very much a loner now, 
is that I never, is that there was nobody in my life who wanted to uh, devote as much time and effort as I did into due diligence about this, about threat modeling the way that you would threat model as a cybersecurity professional, as an epidemiologist, as a warfighter, um, as an investor. And I'm, I guess I'm a semi-professional investor at this point, at least for myself, not, not as, I don't sell the service. So really, I'm a freelance, I'm a freelance warfighter. I'm an eco-warrior. I'm a spiritual warrior. I am a, I invest with my own, I, I do my own due diligence for my own investing. I do my own, uh, most mostly my own healthcare. I'm, I'm very much a cybersecurity enthusiast and researcher. I, I invoke those things because if you were, well, and then of course I have been a professional prepper in the sense that I have made, at times, made a living or a partial or auxiliary living teaching permaculture and preparedness a very, um, like that was the business card. Permaculture and preparedness was the business card. So there you have it. So threat modeling, threat probability matrix, all these things that come from corporate risk management, that come from military, tactical and strategic planning, uh, permaculture design. A lot of this stuff to me was really, um, really trained into me by being a... Um, an early adopter within the modern survival movement. Um, but for me, throughout the entire pandemic, all I saw was cognitive dissonance on top of cognitive dissonance. And there were very, very few people There were there were there were, most people who I knew were 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 perversely incentivized to to rationalize and minimize the severity of of the pandemic, and thus were subject to misinformation and disinformation that served their perverse self-interest to be in denial about about the seriousness of it, and and but mo more mo most importantly the serious just perplexing adversity the seemingly insurmountable perplexing maybe twilight zone is even is even is even appropriate um more maybe more accessible but the sense that uh the insidious nature of the pathogen made it possible for so much um complexity of uh debate and 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 so much nuance to the ethics and to the severity that it was just this breeding ground for for um 
I think the most, uh, for me, the most alienating and the most marginalizing and isolating effect was that this, this, uh, this vast um, heterogeneity of, uh, of consensus around what is, what's ethical, what's an ethical baseline that's a standard regardless of how immunologically vulnerable or susceptible you as an individual might be in whatever bracket of pre-existing conditions, health, age, body mass index, etc., etc., that that you access to healthcare exposure to frontline health healthcare services industry, um, service industry jobs, retail jobs, like all of these class dimensions as well as as well as um demographic other demographic all that stuff there there is um, there's too many variables to create a one-size-fits-all <laughs> and there were a lot of one-size-fits-all metrics that that were um a little bit maybe too little too late and um whistling past the graveyard uh sometimes better than nothing but also sometimes providing a false hope, which is a certain kind of psychological effect where the word is escaping me, the term, but basically it's like the, 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 uh, the way to think of this effect is that just because someone gives you a life jacket doesn't mean you should then go ahead and brazenly go swim in shark infested waters just because you have a life jacket. Although in certain circumstances, statistics will prove out that people will be emboldened by precautionary and safety measures because it gives them a false sense of confidence that maybe they would have uh, not uh, exceeded had they not had this safety measure put in place. So it's like, talk about Twilight Zone mind F paradox, but uh, I'll probably get into some of that stuff. I'm just getting, now this is like the framing that I want to get into, which is this idea about how much was revealed in this massive global experiment now looking with some hindsight um, on some of the phases so far that have come and gone and some that are still with us but for me as a as a as a partially trained academic and certainly as a citizen intellectual if you will Oh, a, a one-man intelligence shop think tank. That's that's what I'm here to do, and I'm not uh, I'm not charging the big. I'm not making the big bucks doing it. So I'm just um, processing the information as I as I study it, and as I've been trained to be a critical thinker and to study and to take notes. So in the absence of people who I thought from my background who would have wanted to create a real solid um, either daily or for, for a time there was a bit of a weekly a weekly um, call that I was doing with some friends where we would discuss our thoughts on, 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 the, on the headlines and whatnot. I, th- I think that was the closest thing to what I would, would hope for of people who were willing to just give each other delegate homework assignments so that we could have intelligence and briefings shared among us. So I will I will say that that uh, that there were that there, but that lasted for for a period of time and then it sort of um, once it was 
once it was um, clear that this wasn't going to be, uh, it's, it's the end of the world as we knew it, but it wasn't the end of the world. At that point, there was less of an acute sense of, of um, level of alarm and there was a little more complacency. And so, you know, I, I, don't, I don't fault those folks for going about their, their lives at that point. Pretty much they had to settle into a strategy that worked for them and, and that's fine. And, and I, I certainly, um, I just displaced completely. I went, I went completely off the grid, off road and further and further away from civilization with less and less and fewer uh less less frequent um excursions back into babylon as it were for 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 more focused missions to get larger and larger quantities of of supplies that i could then extend my periods of time away for longer and longer and that has been a telescoping effect up until this moment where i'm now over six months into the longest duration of isolation in my entire life from from society based on the implementation of all of my training in bugging out all of the modern survival movement so um so yeah there were just a few people who wanted to engage in that due diligence process and threat model um at least for a few months on a weekly basis but uh as much as i cherish that them they really, and as, as much as they put into into compare or into juxtaposition and comparison for me, how little interest most of my other people, who, friends, who some of them who I would expect to kind of, you know, they were never really hardcore preppers like like me or didn't strive towards that. At least um, there's you know there's a lot of people who I would expect to to really want to to chase excuses to minimize the severity of the situation and to to overlook the ethical dimensions of it and to just get back to normal as soon as possible and and basically the, the chin maskers I would call you know what I mean for 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 it was one way to put it but I don't want to be derogatory and I don't want to feed into dehumanization on any level with this now but um sort of like intellectual chin masking if you will of just being like okay I know there's rules but the signs peeling off the wall anyway and no one else is doing it and I'm kind of like skeptical and being piped in all of this conspiracy theory so after a while like it really becomes this emergent property and I witnessed that and in some instances I, I, I could fully understand it and fully appreciate it in some senses I was mortified by it and there was just a lot of a lot of uh yeah mixed emotions um but as somebody who myself was was always treating it like if it's not the big one i'm going to drill it like it is because this is the best op immersive opportunity like in uh like in crimson tide when um when uh, there's friction between denzel washington and gene hackman because gene hackman decides to do the uh, battle drill during a, f a fire um in order to in order to capitalize on and actually leverage the the stress and the sense of reality and tension that was of that moment. And um, that was an interesting deliberation that they had about that. But anyway, for me, I'm not going to 
be hand wavy and a lot of people in the modern survival mo movement really were and they went straight to the conspiracy theories and straight to the to disinformation misinformation and and i looked at it and this is the i guess i'll i will put the framework out there what i'm trying to address which is for me i'm saying this is mimetic or this is mimetic germ warfare because the threat is epigenetic to the virus itself the the threat is actually in how society how society because of mimetic uh virality because of mimetic mutations society itself becomes the spike protein that tries to get you and spike you and break you open and kill you because of the mimetic structure that is um set off into these this butterfly effect of madness um, that goes in all directions. I'm not saying that I am going to draw one straight line from fact to fiction or from 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 truth to conspiracy. Or I'm just saying madness, chaos, the chaos effect, the butterfly effect. Butterfly flaps its wings, and and then across the world, a, a storm happens, and it it's all linked through some through through an actual measurable effects but that there is a so much complexity to that you can't really model it that it, it gets it's beyond it's um it's beyond cryptography even to understand how how these patterns the colliding actually end up producing these things but we know it's possible and so there are theories about it so for me this theory is vir mimetics as germ warfare and and so in order to even start to set the table of discourse around that, I'm saying it's epistemology as epidemiology or epidemiology as epistemology. I had some background in epistemology uh, from my academic studies, far more than I had epidemiology. However, I used a lot of the time that I had on my hands as I displaced from the work force and in the city and went completely into the wild i was able to really um study up on on epidemiolo epidemiology and uh and therefore my more social science i i should say um political science and 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 my philosophical I guess because I mean, epidemiology is a social science, but it's more based on the hard science. It's more hard science than soft science. It's not literature per se. Although I mean, it, it, well, I'm I'm actually I've actually been pleasantly surprised to discover that epidemiology is very um, very vast and actually is about all kinds of different uh, ailments beyond infectious disease. Um, but it, yeah, it has a lot to do with uh, with things I'm catching up on from years of neglect in, in math and statistics and, and just data science and whatnot. But I'm at a point now where, to me, yes, there was a heartbreaking uh, vacuum of, um, of, of team, me feeling like I had a lot of team players who wanted to spend what I thought was a bare minimum amount of time to have a good sense of due diligence about the daily sifting through the daily 
the daily inform I can't call it news cycle, but the daily information cycle about COVID up to the, up to the minute. Like that's what I was doing the whole time for the first. You know, I was consuming as much filtering and then consuming and digesting and synthesizing as much information as I could, and I still have absurd um, amounts of notes not to appeal to any kind of logical fallacy that I know so much because I'm just saying I was very neurotic about screenshotting and copy and copy pasting and creating digital notebooks because for me I wanted a breadcrumb trail later on like at this moment to be like this is I want to be able to draw that trend line over all of those headlines to say for most people who were in a state of cognitive dissonance, like they weren't trying to pay attention to any of this. I was trying to pay attention to more of it than was even physically, psychologically, intellectually possible. And because I couldn't process it all, but I did want to be able to look back. Like now I can, now I can sit there like a, a neurolinguistic programming exercise of going over your life, your life timeline of emotional events, the way that you would look at you know, the history of the evolution of life on Earth on a map at a museum or something, and like a timeline with the little the, the little lines coming up where it says this is where this species evolved or went extinct or whatever. If you even just take a spreadsheet and you just keep <laughs> a column for the date, a column for the item, a column for the description, and it's like a journal of life events, and you just, you get a, you get a, a an effect of of basically being able to understand in context these uh, these uh, estranged and separated in, in time. In the moment, you may not appreciate them, but when you look back at them um, sequentially in a concise manner like that, you actually see patterns and you go, wow, you know, I was really, maybe I was really in a bad relationship pattern for a number of years. And then look, look at all the, look at this, this good pattern, et cetera, et cetera. So for, to me, I wanted to have organized notes like that and be able to refer back to them and, you know, maybe to some extent be able to say, I told you so if I need to, but just to be, to never, some of the most, uh, the things that were most Kafkaesque or Twilight Zone, the things that were the most epistemologically interesting to me as a thinker, as a social critic, is the ways that this reveals what what you would what you would find in social psychological experimentary experiment designs, things that they could never do in real life, and, and and even experiments that they probably wouldn't get past the ethics board, but that are playing out every day in every institution, on every on, on every street, in every family, all of these social psychological experiments are being played out that reveal all kinds of nuance of good and evil and perversity of incentives and how how fear or love affect our decision making all these things that make for great drama you know and great science and social science things that are worth paying attention to so for me yeah i have not just the mo- not just oh yeah this celebrity got caught cheating on the rules and of course you have all those but i was more interested personally in the, in the ways that the ways that people would um would really uh, uh, 
expose, no pun intended, the um, the sort of um, what's the right word? Uh, to me, well, I guess I would say to me from an epi- how do we know what we know? How do people arrive at their convictions, and then? and then make themselves into a into a replicating mimetic force of mutating society basically taking an idea and then and then replicating it um sometimes you know wait sometimes very poorly very inefficiently with people who are resistant to it but then but then sometimes being very successful because people are very receptive to it so i'm very interested in 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 the the distortions and the this is this would be like logical fallacies like looking for exploring and and hunting intellectually for new logical fallacies that are emergent properties of the internet age that was par- probably some of the, what was the most fascinating and it will, will became really the the essence of um my cherished uh the chair what i cherish as the the conspirituality podcast where those those folks there were really actually starting to um articulate and 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 formalize and 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 organize a lot of a lot of subconscious um intuition that 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 people like me who did come from the left and did come from some spiritual esoteric leanings and certainly some crit- critique of modern medicine, critique of allopathic medicine, critique of, of big big pharma and certainly critique of the government. But some of us who kept our skeptic hats on that without being tinfoil hats remain skeptics and question everything and were not seduced by the most extreme uh, rabbit holes of conspiracy theory, which a lot of people on the left, a lot of people who had spiritual leanings or, or, or um, natural health type leanings ended up being taken for a ride. And so, you know, that was a big area of interest for me. But certainly looking at this... Um, They say follow the money, uh, because I've created a a social a, a social psychological experiment for myself. It's actually an anti-social psychological experiment, because I said to myself, "What happens if if I apply all of my modern survival skills and I displace completely 100% from society and I break all contact? I displace." And I air gap myself from society 100%. Almost, you know, ideally to never go back. Like, ideally, I would have, if I would have had more resources before this, and I'm kicking, and I kicked myself, and I'm kicking myself for not being more prepared because I had to compromise my 100% air gap ideal out of necessity. I did have to go back and work a few times, you know, take jobs in the city a few times. I did have to go back and resupply a few times. And um, 
there was yeah there was a time i even went back and did uh did partial quarantine and par- an extended visit at a hospital to be to be a guinea pig that gave me the alt- the the um the means at high risk cuz that was front lines early days of the pandemic people were disqualified from the medical study because they were in the same lobby as me and they brought in covid and i mean it was um to me that was probably the the most uh uh danger that was the most that was the most danger that i put myself in and uh and it was uh something i would ho- i would hope i would never have to do again but that i did do in order to square away the funds to do a final bug out basically for the most part and i haven't had since then i have not had to compromise my epidemiological um resolve out of financial necessity i've only gone back to buy things and to procure things with money that i that i was able to leverage and invest intelligently from that last gig that i did in the city but anyway i mean that could that that should have killed me that should have taken me out i should have been one of the goners you know at that point and i should be um not even going to laugh about it i should be crippled with long covid because of that and it's a miracle that i'm not and that, that i made it out of that last game of roulette devils dealing with the devil selling my soul to big pharma and to get out and with with um intact in one piece and i i made it but um what i did that's an interesting from an experimental perspective looking at the 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 psychology the social psychology of this is that because i i isolated myself 100% as soon as i financially could and i and i will say that i did I did discover that I have a susceptibility to what's called mask rash and I had heinous fungal infections because I did outdoor permaculture uh design and installation work and I could, you know, come and go and be kind of like a mercenary working for the, for various crews and whatnot and um you know they were all had different uh degrees of vigilance with masking I was very serious about it but for me <laughs> it was untenable because it caused my face literally to rot off to where i basically almost was at yeah i i don't know what i i was afraid that i may be it wasn't like i had flesh eating bacteria but it was that basically it was like having crotch rot or athlete's foot on your face uh, because of the moisture and the and and the, the 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 working and the climate and the time of year you don't want to be working outside I want to get to a lot of this being like so to me I was not I was pro mask and pro high quality mask but it was not possible for me to sustain that even with a low quality mask even with the cloth mask because it trapped too much moisture and it forced me to have to resign from that job opportunity and go into further austerity because of it knowing that i couldn't even um whistle past the graveyard follow the rules and not end up 
with my face falling off. And what saved me and what continues to save me from all cuts, scrapes, and other um, other issues with the skin uh, is turmeric powder. So, But I'm not going to be the turmeric powder evangelist guy with all of my supplement lines and everything. I'm just saying... Side note, and I, I, you know, some, my, my dream of dreams is to be is to be just a mogul of turmeric farming because I owe it my life. I owe it so many, I owe it so much, and I and I cherish it so much. And it's in my body. It's on my body right now. It's I'm stained with it. All my garments are stained with it. So I'm like, I'm in the cult of turmeric. I'll, I will give. I will say that much. But I, I'm not gonna. It's not a high-demand group. I'm not going to try to drag anyone else into it. And I'm not giving any medical advice. But I will say it's, you know, I have to shout it out because it is the sole factor that saved my face. And I was not about to go into the hospital and, like, get what they call super infections, double reinfected with other pathogens on top of other pathogens opportunistically taking advantage of you and 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 dogpiling you and kicking you while you're down that happened that's what killed a lot of people in hospitals going in for one thing coming out riddled with a bunch of other things including but not limited to covid so i just have to establish that that uh that i actually not only did I, I feel like I had a, a moral obligation, an ethical obligation for myself to displace because I didn't have a family to tend to. I had the training and the skills and enough financial means to where, and, and enough opportunity um, in rural land locations, first renting and then purchasing to where I could, to me, in my rationale of threat modeling, say, this is what's best ethically for for my duty of care to society and this is what i i want to do because i want to drill this like it's the real thing like it's the big one and i can't wear a mask as as much as i want to as much as i'm willing to it doesn't it, i i am uniquely susceptible to mask rash and therefore in my line of work i have to um, bow out of society and so I did and what that gave me an opportunity to do was study from a unique perspective that notion of follow the money it's like if you apply that to how people play the the COVID um, uh, choose your own adventure COVID twilight zone episode <laughs> of their life I was able to see that the the um the the reality tunnel that people would generate across all walks of life all different friends of mine and all different strangers to me who I would just study whatever just their what they would say and their attitudes and their social media and whatnot the first i mean I'm not going to name names because it was obvious, but some of the first people to really try try to like appeal to authority and get a bunch of scientists out and doctors to come out and try to minimize it were obviously the people who, who were most invested in large audience events that they had already booked, that they saw this as like a, as a, so to me, that was the biggest, um, most obvious application of the sort of follow the money logic of, of trying to do, uh, trying to decode 
how this was affecting social psychology, this grand experiment, is like the people who are going to cherry pick a narrative and cherry pick studies and quotes and credentials and etc etc in order to to craft and to bolster a narrative that that protects their bottom line the way any lobbyist would be doing exactly the same thing in order to prevent tobacco industry from ever having to pay any settlements you know the the rail industry from putting on decent brakes modern you know all of the all those perverse incentives that are baked into to trade trade associations just considering it a rounding error basically to contribute to the legal uh uh force the forces of 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 lobbying influence um that entire industry and just watching to me watching there become a shadow citizen-based volunteer lobbying force to protect the bottom line of the establishment on all levels in order to minimize like the implications of what of, of what it would mean not just to mask and to social distance but to actually say this is a cause for alarm so such that the precautionary principle would would indicate that we would be very self-sacrificing to 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 any and all extent possible within our means to mitigate spread by air gapping ourselves and as painful as that might be and as to me, I'm thinking like, well, what, what's your plan if, if there's a fire or a flood or an earthquake or a volcano or a, or, 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 or war, you're going to be dis, you're going to displace like and you either will have drilled for it and be prepared for it and be ready to bug out or bug in. In, in it, with this, you could bug in or bug out. I think I did I think I would much rather bug out than bug in because I'm I, I was surrounded by beautiful wild nature. I was not boxed in by the walls closing in on me making me want to die or go crazy or the, again the perverse incentives and it all being revealed. It's the people who want it to just be over with are the ones who are going to cherry pick how to minimize it and not be the ones to do a very um or a less biased, if not unbiased, I don't think anyone's totally unbiased and objective, but it was interesting and has been interesting for me to say, I don't, I'm not trying to make a cult out of what I'm doing. I'm not trying to be uh, uh, any kind of a, a know-it-all because it's a trade-off. Like I, I trade access to, to being on grid and access to being on road for I trade the the beauty and the quiet and the serenity of being remote I trade that off for the fact that if I injure myself I'm probably going to die slowly and painfully and there's nothing anyone can do about it and there's almost never anyone to hear me scream <laughs> so that's a trade-off you know so I'm not, so I don't say like, it's just, oh, I, I did the, the morally right thing. No, I just did, I did me 
And I'm going to speak from that perspective of having done me and still to this day doing me and to this day doing me without long COVID and without COVID bills and without maybe even COVID infection. I don't know. I don't know if I'm a COVID virgin or not. The one and only time that I have had viral sickness cycle was in Feb- February 15th of 2020, where I was most likely at a early super spreader event. And if there was ever a time, if there was ever an opportunity, because I didn't make many opportunities after that, I certainly, that was the last dance party I've been to. Um, so if I didn't, if, if I, if that wasn't COVID that I survived and and if it was definitely weird. It definitely felt like a novel experience of being sick, but it didn't debilitate me um, for more than a few days. And uh, and at that point, we I don't think it was even broadly. Um, uh, I don't even think it, it was. Yeah, I don't think it was even broadly known that there was a potential of there being a novel coronavirus out there. So at that time, my um, my routine or my trained response to it was just like, yeah, self isolate because of the ethics of not transmitting anything, period, ever, um, and uh, and settle in with what I need. Uh, so that I can endure the cycle of it. And uh, and I did my self-natural healing thing. I'm not going to, again, patent or trademark that or even say much about it. Um, but it, it did, I remember, I remember every day of it. I remember, you know, it was, uh, it was an interesting, intimate experience of, of, uh, of pushing, processing through uh, a cycle of being ill, but I, I just, ex- yeah, I just treated it like I would anything that would be a seasonal, uh, a winter seasonal exposure. And it was also, yeah, I was up all night dancing and, and, uh, in a crowd of people indoor setting. And so, you know, I got the be- tickle in the back of my throat after not being very warm in the couple hours as I, a couple hours I slept after it before hitting the road. And I was like, yep, it, that party got me with something. And so, but other than that, I have not been, I have not had any symptoms of, uh, of, uh, cold or flu since, yeah, or, or mid, mid February of 2020. Um, so if I've had any of the strains of waves of COVID, and uh and associated strains of the waves since then uh i i had no symptoms and if i have so i so if i if i had covid and if i have some sort of smoldering persistent viral load then my long covid is so mild i don't i don't i'm not aware of it um and i'm not about to go and get any kind of tests to find out what antibodies I have or don't have or whether I might have uh, reservoirs of the virus of any strain floating around in me somewhere. I did get the two doses of the original Pfizer vaccine and uh, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to 
make any more further statement about about my thoughts or feelings about that it's not really relevant at this point um but uh i i will put those uh disclaimers and those self disclosures about my my biases and my status and whatnot as i as i continue to explore this sort of um this epidemiological epistemic mimetic germ warfare state of the world that we're in and now <laughs> i haven't said anything that i considered that i haven't said anything i haven't said before i haven't said anything that i considered to be profound about my analysis where with where we're at now i will just say that what i was able to continually observe and study and and take notes on and to be intrigued by was the correlation between a, how how bought in to the status quo a person's typically their personal finances are not not so i mean yeah there's people who are their bias is that they want to be doing their um their their their, their religious practice and so there was a lot of obvious backlash and constitutional um litigation even around the constitutionality of uh lockdowns because of people's right to assemble and freedom of religion etc and to me that's like one example of obviously these people the the people who were who were going to um choose a a, a social public semi-public whatever but basically a social a social ritual religious experience and they're going to um violate multi-levels of states of emergency declarations of rules and laws that would apply to them that would admit that would um suspend certain freedoms that they may have otherwise had uh and of course a lot of that was contested but to me yeah there were there there were some people there was a some percentage of the population of of um shall we say um minimizers or people who were who were uh lobbyists for the status quo the narrative of preserve the status quo do not use the precautionary principle uh regarding covid-19 basically or coronavirus SARS-CoV-2 whatever you want to call it basically what i'm trying to look at is the cohort of the population that were um became de facto lobbyists for the status quo and what was it what was the nuance within that cohort of what brought them there and so i'm want to acknowledge that that prima facie on its face yes there was a percentage of people who were just like we are going to go to church and sing at the top of our lungs no matter what because that's what we do period and 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 we will basically we will we will implicitly disregard any any warnings to the contrary and thereby we will proceed and waive our right to be um dissuaded by the state or by public health officials and we will therefore 
intrinsically embrace the consequences. Basically, you, you cannot say that you didn't know better. You can't say that you weren't warned. You proceeded with full knowledge that this could be life-threatening. It could be dangerous. You could have blood on your hands, etc. And a lot of people went ahead. And some, and so, yes, I don't want to say a lot or a little, but I will say a, a within that cohort, there were the people who who flouted the restrictions be out of a sense of, of just like, you're not going to tell me what to do because I'm going to practice my religion. And maybe I came to this country or my ancestors came to this country because they were willing to die on, they were willing to die on that hill and carry that cross. That was the cross they wanted to carry, no pun intended. Like, I want to be able to religious freedom myself and others to death. And <laughs> thank you very much. That's what this country was created to give me the freedom to do. So I get that. The irony to me is not, is not lost on that. And I'm just like, well, that's not me. You know, I'm, I'm going to sit back by myself and study science and go, hmm, I'm going to practice my spiritual practice and I'm going to look at where, where in my, my lexicon of spiritual teachers that I can look to, was there a time and place to go into the desert and, and go be in the desert for, for, for that period of isolation? That could have easily been what people, uh, the, the scriptures that they, that they look to to say, all right, everybody, now is the time to go face your demons alone. Don't come to the church, don't come to sing, and don't super spread an unknown new virus because we don't know who to trust and we don't know what to think. And so go and face your demons alone. And we'll and we'll come back and we'll regroup when 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 it's safe to do so or when we have more information. And um, yeah, surprise I don't know. I don't I really would love to know what congregations actually actually took an opportunity to say we're being reminded of the plagues we're being reminded of the end of the world like this is the time to i mean aren't there spiritual warriors who were survivors of the plagues of the end of the world like that that you know that there was something about being engaged and so to me the stand stephen king's work I'm just leaning into that Stu character played by Gary Sinise, even to this day. What a pandemic will do is it will bring people's true colors to the surface. And nobody did a better job of tapping into the character development and the nuance of the expression of good and evil in the face of a pandemic than Stephen King did in The Stand. And I had that archetype etched into me as a fan of that work going back to when I was exposed to it as a film uh, in 1994, I was not, I, I read one Stephen King book and that was not The Stand, but but I remember in the early days of the pandemic, all of these uh, films were full, full length films were coming out on YouTube at the time. And there was a lot of people posting the full TV series of the mini series of The Stand. The Stand. And so I think everybody now could watch that film and go, who was I most like as a character vis-a-vis -vis this, the onset of this virus. And w w while it maybe ha it wasn't as, as um, didn't have an, 
a case fatality rate of the level of, of, of the virus in the stand, there's so many things that were prophetic about it, from everything from cognitive dissonance around the quality of mask you're using to to the lab leak theory, to the cover-ups, to the things that people would do to squirm around uh, restrictions, the things that people would do to be perversely incentivized, to go against what they were trained to do, go against the law, uh, and and uh, and then become super spreaders by default and whatnot. I mean, so many things you could just go, I could just go on forever. But but I will say to this day, I feel like even the soundtrack of the stand is in is in my heart deeply because I feel like although most people are still alive out there. I feel so estranged and alienated from the people who, to me, I can no longer relate to, and I know I feel threatened by. So I'm, in a sense, I'm dead to the world, and the world is as is empty and as post-apocalyptic as it almost really was for the people in the stand. The only people that I would want to regroup with are people who take it as seriously as I did and, and always have. And to this day would would say to themselves, the, 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 the long COVID roulette ethics and game theory are such that I would myself rather die alone than live knowing that I could have been responsible knowingly or unknowingly for 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 putting that curse on anybody for having them die of covid or then become victims of long covid because because i let my guard down because i had to go and i had to just get my my dance on or my party on or whatever on for me i'm still um and love me or hate me and there are people who may you know i i wasn't really toxic about it i didn't really like there's nobody who i shamed really about it i just kept to myself did my own thing and the what what the stand was able to teach me as a spiritual lesson is that the spiritual path is not always the easy path and the 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 hard thing to do in this time is to displace and go on a pilgrimage into the unknown of isolation and you are going to have a lot of demon battles to do and uh and and so here I am I'm I'm doing it every day right now to this moment I'm fighting demons because they they really uh take advantage of the fact you have no public persona when you're isolating and so you don't really have to like <laughs> you don't really have to uh uh you don't have to put up much of a facade because there's nobody to hide your your demon fights from you know there's like nobody there's in public and in society and amongst friends in order to be in polite society you it, it won't it won't look like um those scenes in fight club where they where they have the long the wide angle shots of edward norton fighting nobody and punching himself <laughs> i'm not saying i'm actually bloodying myself and bludgeoning myself but the but the, the funny thing is that for i think for most people i mean and i'm not i don't really talk to myself uh, more than I would have in society. Uh, the the uh, I think the best the best analogy I, I could actually make is the Edgar suit that we all wear. In, in, uh, 
re referencing Men in Black when uh, I can't remember his name, bless his heart. He's the he played uh, Private Gomer Pyle. He played Abby Hoffman. I can't remember his his name as an actor, but a brilliant actor. But he played Edgar in the original Men in Black, where where he was basically infested by this. Um, he he was able he was possessed and actually inhabited by this parasitic. Uh, 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 alien infection that was able to somehow kind of survive within 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 his skin, make him appear to those who knew him as sort of not not himself to say the least, um, but able to persist within his body. And the thing is, the way that they portrayed him going from the before and after alien possessed alien parasitized Edgar but the before and after all of us in society until we have full dementia or in, 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 until we are, are, are potentially latent schizophrenia uh, gets full blown or if we're not on meth or uh, <laughs> bath salts or whatever basically we're not having a moment where our defenses are taken down we all are inches away from looking like Edgar, where I think his wife said it was like something was wearing an Edgar suit. I can't remember what the line was. So insightful, the way they de depict that. And I feel like everybody, everybody's demons are crawling through them. And um, you know, like Beetlejuice said, I got demons running all through me, all through me, you know. And it's, yeah, demons are real. I, I would prefer to call them transdimensional parasitic organisms that do um, do exist on a on a uh, for lack of a more clinical term on a on a multi multi-dimensional plane that is as yet metavisible not so much metaphysical but it's metavisible because we don't have scientifically the instruments yet to actually put them as as it were under a microscope but I think it is. I think it's. Uh, it, it is. Uh, the science is evolving to a point where what used to be y yesterday's science fiction and and paranormal studies become much more uh, uh, palatable to talk about scientifically as our instruments evolve and as our, our discourse evolves around it. I think our demons are wearing us like an Edgar suit at all times, and how visible those demons jerking us around and us struggling with them how visible that is on the surface going from a uh, 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 having Tourette's on one end meaning you're a homeless person on the sidewalk or on the street corner at the intersection screaming profanities and throwing things and looking straight through people, not even yelling and screaming at anyone in particular, but just shouting profanities. That's the Ed Edgar suit is is falling apart at the seams at that point, right? And the demons, the transdimensional parasitic organisms, there's not the, the, the human shell that's still sort of animate but being puppeteered in the, in that state. They're not even putting up a fight with those demons. Whereas somebody who is getting um, dressed down and chewed out by their boss and they're sitting there fighting their demons because they would love to go off on their boss but they can't and so they're suppressing it so the, the Edgar suit is being um, 
<laughs> it's like you can almost see that inner battle going on where you want to unleash the Tourette's on your boss, but you're, but you're fighting to be civil, you're fighting to be sociable, you're fighting to keep your job. You don't even want to emit the body language of displeasure because you have got to play the act like you're just um, totally sir yes sir totally you know accepting this feedback and whatnot so my point being the spiritual path of precautionary principle in the face of an unknown virus to go off and and, and to be in, in a remote quarantine isolation it's not easier it's harder because the demons know and they will um, opportunistically um, gang up on you when you're alone and when you're most vulnerable. So it's, you don't go out to the desert because that's because there's no demons out there. You go out to the desert because you want to do the gladiator training in fighting demons because that's where they're gonna. That's where you're gonna be able to um, have less distraction, less half-assing it. Like gloves will come off, and they will reveal themselves and they will and you will you will have you won't be half fighting them because you're sort of mostly engaged in just going through the niceties of keeping that edgar suit very very tight you know very very tightly bound more and more every day i go this was a stephen king life this is a stephen king life and uh and because I'm a fan of Stephen King. I can't say that I wasn't warned. And I, and I will say I will make the best of this Stephen King life that I have. Th their cognitive dissonance mind says, oh, I'm living in Disney World. But the reality is they're actually living in Stephen King World where, where the truth is that, is that this reality, m more so than ever, every day, is so beyond comprehension a horror movie that... You have to watch every sci-fi and horror movie at the same time, <laughs> concurrently with like a million screens running in order to distill how, how poignant they all were and, and, to, and to actually be, have a clue about how, how embedded we really are in, in the truth of all those things. The more people grasp for the Disney World simple solution, oh, whistle past the graveyard, Give me the simple, rational, uh, cherry-picked narrative so I can just go back to my status quo, whether it's because it's my business or my mind is dependent on it. No, the, the hard path, the, the, the grueling path is the path of the precautionary principle and where that leads, the implications of that and the ethics of that. So, so I'm saying I'm not selling this as being easy and fun because it's not. I'm also saying you won't do it and for most people, it's the least desirable thing to do. And it is the most difficult thing to do because to take the implications just on paper, back of the napkin implications of the game theory, what the what ifs, be, do the what ifs on a back of a napkin. What if my negligence kills someone else? Whatever that might be, because I left the banana peel I threw a banana peel over my shoulder and walked away and went out of earshot and didn't hear the person screaming that broke their neck after they slipped on my banana peel. And I, 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 it's like compounding in this um, kaleidoscope of, of epidemiological um, math 
of super spreading and the nuances of air filtration and mask filtration and uh, the, the the Swiss cheese effect of uh, past the way you know you're given a, a math homework assignment in elementary school make a good faith effort to use what we've taught you to do which is to think about the problem apply tools that you've learned to solve the problem don't come back the next day and say my aliens or the dog ate my homework or I gave up halfway because I didn't trust that you weren't working for uh, that you didn't have money invested in big pharma all the th- all of the rationale that people will use fall short or come make a half-assed if any if if any effort whatsoever to like apply the skills that they have you have critical thinking skills you have maybe taken civics you've probably taken math you've probably taken health like you cannot don't act dumb or lie and say that you do not have the problem solving skill sets to to take this situation that's in real life and give it a good faith problem solving effort the way you would have given a math problem that you rolled your eyes at not because it was easy but because you thought it was stupid or you didn't care for it i don't even see people putting in that like that that level of effort and it's and to me it has a, it, it would it would it, it would have a lot to do with again the perverse incentives oh i think it's fun and engaging and interesting to even be critical play devil's advocate against my own biases how how could my approach to this situation be straw manned or steel manned or steel or straw person or whatever and just to develop a healthy habit of looking at things from all sides and whatnot people i would see people get so dug into positions with such rigidity and such um doubling down on such cognitive bias it's, it was really terrifying and uh you know i think that i think yeah some people they 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 would uh they've come out of it and they would come out against and call themselves out later and whatnot i mean there's all kinds of different people who've at different stages of reckoning how their behavior was to whatever extreme and um now damn what a what an opportunity to as a inquisitive critical thinking social scientist take the cognitive um capacity that i still have not being in a state of chronic pain or deprivation um cognitively because of acute effects or long COVID effects i'm able to sit back and go well I know a few things, you know, on the back of my napkin of the what ifs. I'm pretty sure I didn't kill anybody through my negligent behavior. And I, and I, I definitely know that I didn't, um, I didn't publicly undermine precautionary principle. I didn't publicly minimize or downplay, uh, the severity of the virus in a way that I would have to have to apologize for and have to admit that I was very wrong and maybe have to um, (laughs) 
not out of trying to deflect or out of self-preservation, try to minimize my culpability by blaming others and say, oh, I was just following orders or I was influenced by so-and-so, but actually just be able to, if I was one of the deniers and I was out there very, very aggressively encouraging other people to behave in ways that would be compounding negligent person slaughter, <laughs> uh, mimetic germ warfare is what I'm calling it. You would hope that in a tribunal of those people, either officially or unofficially, that they would that they would say not only out of self-preservation, push responsibility further up the the chain of command, but just to say, hey, you know, I, I just be aware. Like I was being fed information and influence from these sources, which now I'm more critical of. And I'll be honest about that, intellectually honest about that, emotionally honest about that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's making a documentary about the people who are having a reckoning in them with themselves about maybe drinking too much of so-and-so's Kool-Aid. And now I really realize that it was all about protecting someone else's bottom line or my bottom line. And we use things like the constitution and religious freedom and we used all these all this cover and concealment and um and misdirection actually to just cover up our perverse incentives and actually it was all essentially just hyper capitalistic for us all along and 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 i would uh, yeah i would i would love to know more about the people who have had that reckoning and i would even more care not out of the sense of pure indulging in the energy of i told you so but to but because i i have got more feeds coming into my daily briefings of rss feeds and twitter feeds and reddit feeds and blogs and news agencies and everything else government agencies i on a daily basis, pipe in as much long COVID information as I possibly, almost possibly can within the scope of my ability to actually understand and read any of the, any of the scientific material. Like I'll take some of the good sum summaries and the good breakdown um, digests of it. But, uh, but to me, I'm living in the stand. I'm living in a Stephen King horror reality that's not about, that's about watching the watching the treachery of the of of the people who are trying to live in disney world and i'm living in a disney world fantasy and i'm and i'm mortified because i'm living in the stephen king horror fucking reality and so that's why this whole time and to this day my bias is that i am going to be i'm going to be um over represent the appeals to emotion of those who suffer with long COVID. I want to f fall asleep every night to the screams of their agony, almost literally. I mean, I I'm, I'm almost that dead serious about how like, don't let me, don't let me fall asleep. Your job is to keep me awake. You know, as if you're driving on a long drive and you want someone to talk to you so you don't fucking fall asleep. Like, that's how I feel about long COVID and piping in the long COVID survivor narratives because I'm not looking for the cherry-picked narrative of, like, look how, look how few people died and look how much it was like the flu and look how wrong the mask 
extremists were and look how much money this public official had invested in this whatever whatever to me it's no but yeah all of the food for conspiracy theories that serves that sort of status quo lobbyist narrative with all of the different stakeholders because that narrative that served what i would just call unprecautionary covid minimizing i don't know if there's a word for it i'm certainly not going to use a a, like a a normal person's name and i hate i just i feel so bad that people's names get used in these uh, (laughs) in these social media how cruel could you be to everybody who has that name how am i going to epitomize this archetype I guess just the back to normies, I guess. Maybe that's a good one. Back to, because normies, normies is, is a pretty well-established meme. So it's like the back to normies. And those, and you know, that that's kind of benign even really, because I don't consider them to be, most people are just kind of like, yeah, let's just get this over with. I want to put it behind us. I want to get out of lockdown. I want to not test everywhere I go. And I want it, the mask really is like, I can't understand what people are saying. And I get a mask rash too, if I'm honest. And from either from being mildly agitated and mildly inconvenienced to it being extremely disruptive to have to live in the COVID restriction compliant paradigm that I get it. So let's just call it the back to normie thing. And so in the back to normie thing, there's all kinds of, again, all of these different subgroups who are going to, who are going to, um, who are, who are the stakeholders in the in the minimize throw precaution to the wind back to the status quo most people their bias is going to be I'm a ba- I want to go back to normal I'm a I'm a back to normie and I'll just applaud and eat up and pipe in all of the um what's the word uh confirmation bias you're going to want to be in that echo chamber of, of uh, confirmation bias and you are going to pipe in, whereas my feed is more than anything else. If I were have to distill from all of the things that I that I pipe into my experience of the feeds of the Internet into my life, the clustering within all of those different, uh, very diverse inputs, I, I would like to say, it would be like long COVID studies, which would include continuing to follow Dr. Eric Feigelding, continuing to follow the Survivor Corps threads and a lot of the sub-threads and sub-feeds that I got from that. Uh, the uh, the People CDC is one. There's like, what is it, COVID IRT? Newsletters, er- er- Eric Topol. There's, there's so many I can't even count. Filter into my week, you know, sometimes multiple times a day or whatever. So I want to, at all costs, resist what I know is a a cognitive bias tendency to to get lazy and to get complacent and to fall back into letting your guard down and the only the best way I know of to be constantly reminded that the stakes of the game of what some people are are, are now finally calling long covid roulette I think is like one archetype that's been thrown out but um I spent a lot of my time reading about the studies, reading the symptoms, watching and listening to and reading the narratives and not just the celebrity stories, you know, but everyday people. And so to me, 
I'm in the stand, I'm in the Stephen King reality, and I am trying to be the Stu character, the Gary Sinise character in the film. What he has to endure in order to be the righteous man, baby, you know, can you dig your man? He's a righteous man. That character gives an opportunity for all of us to judge ourselves against. And it's not like judging ourselves against the perfection of a saint. It's just to try to be fair and judicious. Like, I don't have a lot of those problems because I've removed myself so so fully that I don't, I don't have to deal with the... Um, the conflicts of interest and the messiness that it would be that would be involved in like being in a family or being responsible for dependents or employees or I mean I had a little bit of that because I've worked with some contractors and whatnot I've hired a little bit of help occasionally but but at this point I'm pretty much as far removed from any of those compromises and complexities so when I think about what would not what would Jesus do but what would Stu do you know in a complicated situation where doing the best doing the most good for the most people and doing a sort of moral and ethical triage understanding the spiritual battlefield is messy and the physical plane is messy man there's a line i hope i can remember it i don't know if it was directly from the book but i know stephen king put a lot of if you read the wikipedia he put a lot of effort into uh into, I mean, he rewrote the screenplay for the so many times. I owe him so much for the impact of that work on my life because of how much hell he went through, not just to write the original book, but it got to me. And his passion for that material, and I do think I do think it's considered one of his most um, most popular works. Has so much value, so much epic, timeless social value. Um, and so many themes that that uh, that we're all supposed to have learned in Sunday school, but <laughs> but like you you learn very quickly that like that seems to wear off, you know what I mean? Uh, or whatever your spiritual sort of if it wasn't a Christian Sunday school, which I maybe went to two or three times by accident almost, but um, yeah, I mean the point being we're we're very astray from not strict morality as per any kind of religious doctrine but we're just very so so drunk on prosperity and self-interest that we can't be bothered we're so entitled we can't be bothered by the things that in that in that story what what a what a righteous man would be bothered by you know being being moderate and and humble and solving hard problems and having to counterbalance and, and, and look at trade-offs and uh, and be strong, you know, and um, and be upstanding in the desolation of uh, feeling very estranged and alienated from a world where you're like, I, I, I don't want to succumb to the, um, the people who I now feel like are, are like, honestly, sadly, and I don't say it... Um, to demonize them, I say it with with compassion, but I would say I think what I what I discovered is that is that the um, the impulse or the 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 sort of gravity that pulls people into sociopathy, the way that they can people can glaze over and enter into a mass hypnosis, a mass hypnotic trance of cognitive dissonance about ethical implications of 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 being a, a, a negligent.
actor, a negligent force of perpetrating death on others, how, how quickly people can convince themselves that they're absolved of, of any of obligation to be considerate. And then, and then the efforts, it would have been easier just to be compliant with some of the restrictions. It's harder to be flippant towards them and to be, to rebel against them. I'm just, I, I, but again, I'm just like, wow, I'm comforted by, and I'm in this sort of realm where, where I'm just grateful for, 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 for what that, what, what Stephen King has taught me through that work about her days ahead times are going to get rough and they're going to demand of you that the temptation to fall from grace is going to be all around you and and in no in no more in no clearer terms could that be in a in a world where now everybody wants you to surrender your defenses and join a cult of most people out there are living in this cult of disregard of the precautionary principle and as a prepper that there's a word for that it's called you guessed it give yeah you guessed it zombies right i don't want to be dehumanizing i mean i expected a lot of these things to happen what i did not expect was some of the most prominent preppers to not only minimize the virus and and betray their followers and betray I would say even the movement by minimizing and basically it'd be like having the fire marshal who always said know how to use a fire extinguisher and have a fire escape ladder on the second story of your house and do fire drills like for having them to for having the fire marshal who told you to do all those things and then when there's a fire they're going to tell you do the opposite make fun of anybody who had the fire escape ladder make fun of anybody who did fire drills make fun of people and and even go and beat them up encourage group mob violence against people who did fire drills and who had a fire escape ladder and who who had fire extinguishers that's how that's how betrayed i feel that is how mortified and and surprised and shocked and how unexpected I was to have like my colleagues and who I thought were my allies in the movement like become I don't know what agenda and I think if anything if I'd say yeah follow the money it's like well yeah it would a lot of people's bottom line would be hurt it's like <laughs> like uh-oh people won't come to my prepper gathering if I tell them to bug out and to avoid, to displace and to avoid contact with the enemy and bug out and avoid the zombie apocalypse, oh shit, then they're not going to go to my gathering and I'm going to lose money. So actually, no, it's all a conspiracy. It's all a lie. It's all fake. And I'm not going to say anybody by name, but there are some deep, deep, deep heartbreaking personalities for me i just can't believe it and i'm like you know what to me more than anything else protected me from from being um a toady to those kind of bullies what 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 i would have to attribute more than anything 
for, for, for me not being swept up in that, because I mean, how many, how many things would I have been in lockstep with from those thought leaders and that I was, because I was such a, I worshiped them so much and adored them, wanted to do anything to impress them and to be, you know, on their A-list to be like a goody, a good student, a goody two-shoes, you know, be like the, the, uh, the, the, the teacher's pet. Like that was my mentality towards a lot of these personalities. I would not want to, I couldn't imagine a scenario where I would like about face, turn my back on them and go and, and have to like walk away from them. It would be too heartbreaking. I couldn't believe it. And I, and I've, I've had to, um, you know, sever ties in some, to some degrees, but, but the thing that it's more important and, and more redemptive, what really gave me this iron will of precautionary principle, but, but what I'll say is, um, what I attribute to where I, where I have that, that iron will came from more so than anything else. <laughs> it wasn't being a tinfoil hat prepper, critical of all of the government agencies, critical of big pharma, none of that like libertarian bravado. No, the thing, if I were to attribute it to one single factor, it was the community emergency response training course. It was uh, it was brought into my purview uh, because of the the prepping that was being done around 2012 within the sort of Burning Man community, which I had never been to Burning Man, but I was part of the sort of um, it was called the Visionary Arts Movement, if you will, at the time, and uh, and I brought sort of the punk shadow visionary art to it. I even at a time I even at a time uh, joined the movement from a apocalyptic sort of crust punk sort of um aesthetic and i and i created in alignment with the with the zeitgeist of that of that time what i called an edible visionary art park and thanks to having done that i was able to um attract in a lot of uh beautiful souls and and one of them who happened to be a visionary artist uh, par excellence her her and her partner uh introduced to me the source of the food that I'm eating right now, which was like LA's best kept secret, which, um, you know, I'm not going to say it by name uh, in this context for various reasons, but LA's best kept secret is that the, 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 what they call the produce district, that there are bulk food suppliers that have will call, it's open to the public, where you can, without a business license and without a, without a business account, you can go in as a will call cash customer and walk out with boxes or pallets or truckloads or as much as you want of food that you would be buying out of the bulk bins at the grocery store and you're going to pay half price for them if you get them in real bulk not like I mean, like, there's various layers at the supply chain from the retail packaging to the wholesale packaging. I mean, everything that goes into my five-gallon bucket, Mylar bag, O2 absorbers, that mantra, it all comes from that place, and it all came from that time, and it all points to um, the folks that were delegates of the community emergency response team training. And they came to my Edible Visionary Art Park to be to help me form a, a group that was like a, a, a conscious, conscious movement, visionary movement, survival, that we call it the resilience study group, something like that. And, uh, and 
and there were ex-military, there were people who were burner, Burning Man people, there were people who were who had just freshly come out of the, the CERT training course. I remember the manual they, they, they dropped on my lap, like it's like two inches thick or whatever. The middle of the year 2012, like on the way to the countdown to December 21st, you know, is when I did the CERT training course with my beloved at the time. And uh, it was the most humbling experience of my life because I was forced to have an appreciation for what first responders have to deal with in, in, in terms of the, the asinine ignorance and stupidity of the people that they serve and that they risk their lives for on a daily basis who have no clue about risk mitigation or sanitation or fire prevention or anything no moderation whatsoever and no care or concern everything is a hedonistic party and i am going to put every limit of every boundary as far as they can just hoping not to get a whole bunch of citations at once people are gonna they're gonna litter they're going to not wash their hands. They're going to speed. They're going to not wear their seatbelts. They're going to throw cigarette butts in the, on the, in the forest on fire. You know what I mean? Like, they're just going to be so negligent. And it's one thing to take a first aid training, which I had done and was certified in that, but it was the next level thing that I knew was an obligation I would have to do. For me, if you're a permaculture designer and you haven't read the permaculture designer's manual, then you actually should be automatically failed and you get an F and I don't care what certificate, where your certificate came from or who your teacher was. Reading that manual is the course textbook. You don't, you don't, there's things that you will learn in that and things that we can only, um, that we can, we, we can't have a conversation about unless you have read that. And that makes you a full participating graduate student of the 72-hour permaculture design course so the way i feel about that the 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 the, the uh, intensity i feel about that is the intensity i feel about if you're a prepper and you haven't and and you're exempt obviously if you're a first responder maybe to some extent if you're in the military and therefore it's drilled into you already to be medically prepared and to be squared away in all these different ways you know to do drills and to have plans to displace from the enemy and all that kind of stuff you're supposed to have a go bag you know otherwise you'll get smoked and you know you could be dereliction of duty and have bigger consequences but as a civilian who's not a first responder you call yourself a prepper you you know i think uh i'm gonna say that uh, things like uh like the ham radio course that's kind of a gray area but the community emergency response team training I'm not going to say it just because, oh, I did it, so I have some have some sort of machismo about it. It's not like that at all. It's free. Yeah, it was developed by FEMA, so you're going to have to check your tinfoil hat at the door. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's the Community Emergency Response Team Level 1 Training. Almost, like, yeah, it's all, I can't remember how many hours it was total, but it's its own kind of a semester-y kind of a thing in your life, you know? And so... I want to I want to attribute to them a few things. I, I don't want to unpack everything. There's so much that was in, involved in it. I would love to be one of the cert uh, people where it's like this is like their hobby and they get together with their cert team and they 
practice building, doing cribbing. This is one thing you should know about. Practice doing light search and rescue and they practice setting up command posts and rotating out positions and delegating communication with um, with actual official first responders. And I, I did not... Um, join the community of other cert members at a high at a higher level and so you know i i i would say i'm like uh um i'm an underachiever in that regard but i also you know would say i make up for it in other ways but i i do i do have infinite respect for them and i am for infinite respect for the the structure and that it was designed to be the fabric of the idea of a of a, of a militia that's a medical militia is actually, oh my God, I can't believe I just said that, but it is kind of like a medical militia. So there I said it, whatever. Um, I'm not going to go any further with that. <laughs> Self-freak. That, no, I'm just stopping there. But to bring this to a point, at the, by the end of that course, I'm like, man, we live in such a ratcheted up world of just hazards upon hazards literally everything is leaning against us and is i mean we're basically in an iron maiden of our own making and and by that it's like a you know a medieval torture device where you, where it's like a a coffin with spikes you know what i mean that close they close on you and they they squeeze you into it and they drop the lid on you that's what an iron maiden is and that is the Disney World, modern civilization, cognitive dissonance, cognitive bias, back to normal, back to normies, lobbyists for the status quo, entitled, epidemiologically incorrect. That's the epistemology that we live in. That's how we know what we know. And you wouldn't know that if you didn't take the cert course, rolling out that caution tape, you know what I mean? Like rolling out that triage mass mass casualty event protocol having that that to me that was just all theoretical and we did very minimal drilling of that in one little scratching the surface course think about when i think about the people who have done triage and mass casualty events many many times in their career as first responders or as battlefield medics and whatnot and so they should know better. They do know better. And the ones of them who were like, yeah, they treated this the way they were trained to treat it. And that is not to have a, an attitude of, 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 of laziness or, or being in denial about it. Everybody cuts corners. Everybody, you know, maybe gets complacent here and there. But the people who, let's say, know how to do mass casualty event um, administration as first responders and the people like me who at least are aware of the science and the um, and the, and and the, the architecture of the thinking of just how to begin to approach thinking about doing the most good for the most people and risk mitigation, understanding vectors of transmission at a mass scale, like snapping into an emergency response mode, and. That's what that course did for me. I'm not going to say I'm a hero. I'm not a hero. I didn't do any outreach to the public to help people suffering with COVID. I didn't put myself um, at risk. Like if anything, I'm I'm a um, 
an anti-hero because uh, at best I just saved my own ass and I just went. I just didn't want to be part of the problem by at least uh, subtracting myself from from the equation. You know, which is it's not heroic to do that. You know what? There is a um, a, a, a marine. Uh, Iraq war veteran politician, but he basically said there was so much, I'm paraphrasing, but there was like so much death and so many, so many threats to our lives. You just resigned completely to the notion that you would just die at any time. And so with that, in that state of mind, all you really care about is like, you stop caring about yourself. Like you stop caring about, and I'm again, totally paraphrasing, but this is how I'm going to do the folk oral tradition of transmitting my interpretation of, of his wisdom from, from that battlefield experience, which I do not have. I fought in other, I would say I'm a drug warrior. I'm a eco warrior. I'm a spiritual warrior. I'm not a Gulf or I'm not a, I'm not a Iraq war veteran. So I will, I will um, paraphrase and absorb the wisdom from those mentors. The, the crystallization of this sentiment is that you stop being concerned with whether or not you're going to live or die it's more about like how what's what what are the what's the after effect of you dying and at that point all you have control over cuz you have no more control over 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 your death and even how you might die it's, you have control over your honor and how you'll be remembered i think those are the the, the two exact verbatim sets of words by that standard i'm guilty in my last in in, in my the way that i went out I, I i went out in a disgraceful manner in the eyes of some of, 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 a, of a few people and what i took from that thankfully i, I well i'm not dead and those were not my last opportunities to redeem myself after falling from grace but what they did teach me because it did bring me to tears and it did change everything in my life feeling like oh my god i'm not the honorable person i thought i was or i tried to be and in fact the people who i cared most about i i, I hurt the most and uh you know and, and and i may may not have the opportunity to repair that damage and i'll have to live with that but i will not i will learn from that i will not inflict that on other people and so I, I try to set my moral compass by that, thinking about there are some people who I, I, will, I will not set up a circumstance where, where it's possible for me to possibly endanger them. So at the very least, yeah, there was only emotional collateral damage from this life. I didn't cause great bodily injury, harm, or death to anybody that I know of in, in the life that I spent in the world of chaos and danger and risk and motorization ego and intoxication and just gang violence and street violence and litigation and liability all the things that happened in babylon in the city like that i escaped from that i i don't get to live the hipster life i don't get to go to the hipster bar i don't get to go to the hipster taco truck i sacrifice all those things and I, I, may, I eat the same food that I grow and that I prepare, that I prepped with, you know, every day out here by myself in, you know, the middle of the what I consider the promised land for myself. And I get to do a lot of reflecting and, and I get to think a lot about in what ways did I 
that I end my social career in a way that I will be, how will, how will I re- be remembered? And I think for the most part, I will be remembered as a, as a, a, a good person, a, as a righteous man. The people who, whose, whose hearts I broke or who I maybe um, will not be remembered in a high favor or in a disgraced manner, that in that uh, that there there are far more people who not not because they were tricked by me or because we didn't go through hard times or we didn't go through opportunities for me to either step up or step down as a man, but there are people who would say I'm I'm alive because of him. He saved my life, and that doesn't mean he'll never do wrong, and I'll never you know hear criticism of him. But I will say that yeah, there are people out there whose lives I did save in more ways than one. There's people whose hearts I mended. There's more people whose hearts I mended than I broke. There's all kinds of metrics that I can look back on. Those are what populate my dreams, you know? Getting visited by people who would come to haunt me for what I did wrong to them. Getting visited by people who want to come and love on me because of how, how good of a lover I was on them. I'm in this interesting, interesting realm of post-society. You know, outwardly socially mobile. I left society and now I have thankfully, so thankfully, a conscience that is self-healing. It's working itself out and the shadow material that needs to come up, I'm working through it. I have a relatively clean conscience and I sleep very well and my dreams are filled with meaningful encounters with the people who I could have been better to and them reminding me of that so that I do better in the future with other people, you know, including myself. All these, the mind striving to be healthy, the spiritual allies and the divine hands of origami. I've been dealt the hand that I've been dealt. They've been dealt the hand. That I've, I'm certainly a problem child of God. Certainly a problem child of my my spirit guide. They, their hands are full with this one. You know what I mean? For sure. And then, yeah, all the demonic forces, they're having, they've always had a field day with me. And, uh, and they're, it's, it, they're, they're, um, they're not on vacation now by any means. Um, so here we, here I am just living in that, what I would call the reality that we are all actually always living in, which is in this, we are all living in a Stephen King horror reality. And there's people who are carving themselves into having an iron will to to confront the spiritual battles of that truth and that reality and and whereas the laziest people are looking for escape mechanism of cognitive dissonance so that they can construct a veneer of disney world fantasy so that they can avoid the truth of the of the harsh Stephen King reality of horror that the, that life really is.
train for me Because I'm training for you We got a lot of love And revolution to do You better train for me